I'm Adrian Sykes. Welcome to season three of Did You Know, the podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the executives of colour who have led the way in the UK music business. In episode one, we're in conversation with David Miller, managing partner of US entertainment company Seven Grand, that has successfully made the transition from working in the UK to the US. In this episode, we'll hear the story of his journey and his frank and forthright views of the UK music business as he sees it now. Black people in the UK, black guys in the UK, Adrian, need expertise. They need an outlet. They haven't got it. However, as always, we started by asking David why he chose a career in the music business. I think with the rise and momentum that is built in America, you know, with some of the artists that we were definitely into when we were younger, and then looking across the pond at people like Andre Arell, Puffy even, and Brett Wright, you know, you kind of thought, hang about, this is a great way to earn a living. We love the music. I wonder if I could be involved somehow and help create the same energy or some kind of energy in the UK. That was kind of impossible, but not in a way. Uh, and, and I suppose me being um, a, a bit of an extrovert character with a bit of personality, you know, I was doing events and parties and club nights and stuff like that, you know, to, to bring in some extra income and, and really exploit the amount of people that I knew in, in my community. It kind of just went hand in hand to align what I was doing on the music and club and entertainment vibe to then connect it with the music industry at the time. So I kind of drifted into it. And you remember we, we, we did the roof garden myself and, and my business partner at the time and a couple of music people, um, you know, reached out to us to bring artists to the roof garden because it was a good look for them. Uh, so we got talking to executives and, and in my mind, being an entrepreneur that I am, I was like, you know what? I can do a better job than these people. I'm black. These artists are black. It's cool to be black. The music is, is, is what I love. These executives and staff and labels don't know where to take these artists. They don't know what food they eat. They don't know how to hang out. They don't know how to communicate with them. How about I present myself as someone who can actually do that for them? And that's how I kind of got into it initially. What was your introduction to the music that you loved that took you from being someone who was an aficionado into somewhere, into a, a place where that was how you made your living? My first introduction to music from, from my perspective was, you know, Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life, the Stax soundtrack. I think it was, there was a track in there called Freddy's Dead, Motown, you know, the sound of Philadelphia, all, all that kind of movement that was really cool and was played in the clubs when I was young and, and the clubs that I couldn't get into. It, music was our escape. It was a, a bit of a support of our self-esteem that was lacking because of the nature of the way of life in the UK. You know, the police, the sus law, the prejudice, the racism, the institutional racism. So, so it was a, a natural progression. As we moved into the 90s, you had, you know, uh, people who were young executives in the States, um, Kirk Burroughs, Brett Wright, Sean Combs, etc., who, who were the same age as us or, or, or maybe a little older, actually, 
but 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 moving and making money and 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 enjoying flights and award shows and stuff like that just to aspire to be part of that was was exciting because i had such an entrepreneurial spirit and self-belief i believed that i could you know be part of that and 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 perhaps help develop the sound and the industry in in the uk funny how we've become we've come full circle because you were definitely one of my supporters very early on when when you didn't have to and i think that that that's something that has been lacking in our community for a very long time when i met mervyn and he introduced me to uh, joe cocal i think it was who was head of marketing and i went in and i met with joe and i bumped into you and you were like listen this is what you do david turn left turn right you introduced me to tony powell really nice guy so you know that was the beginning of it all when it was qu- quite daunting but i was ready for it so that was the beginning of the transition you've name checked a lot of people that were influential and that you looked to to think that you could play a part in this industry but for someone living in the uk north london all those guys that you name checked were american was there nobody over here that you looked at or you saw that gave you that impression where you thought, you know what, I could be a part of that? There was a band called Cruise. There was the girl group. But you, but you know what the problem was? The problem was that everybody around each one of these artists kept everybody else at arm's length. No unity. There was no working together. There was no like, oh, you know what, David? You're well connected. You study business and marketing. You went to uni. You're working with these labels. You seem to have the right personality, the right level of professionalism. Can you come on board and help us with this? There was a few acts that were around that could have been really successful. I just think they didn't take advantage of the opportunity the right way. But we 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 just weren't we just weren't exposed enough to frontline business and understood frontline marketing and and promotion and what was required it just wasn't open opened up to our community in a way that we'd understand i think a lot of people thought that you just make a record you look good and you became successful as you and i know adrian that there, there was a lot there's a lot of politics that go with the business scratching the right people's backs and and being on time and and being in meetings and being articulate and, and understanding strategy and development and patience, all these things are very, very important and things that, that, that most people in our community weren't exposed to most of the time. So, so I didn't have any patience for it. And, and the Americans that I met embraced me immediately. It was just a whole different vibe. There are a number of British execs, black British execs at that time that were in the game that I would imagine you would have come across during the, your formative years kind of coming through. But none of them seem to have had as much if, as much influence and effect on you as our American counterparts. Because they never they never reached out, Adrian. You were the only person who I could talk to who would open up and, and, and have a conversation. They didn't care about anybody else. They didn't care about themselves. You talk about professionalism. You talk about that lack of opportunity or connectivity within our community apart from the odd one or two of us that kind of felt it was important to kind of open doors and join the dots why do you think that that was it's remnants of slavery adrian if if most of our community was west indian we were never taught about slavery and the effects that that it had on us being taken from africa what the caribbean islands were which were slave ports Right, there were bases. We were radicalized in those bases and taught 
to dislike each other based on the shade of our skin, our height, separated the men from the women, created competition between the men. We were never allowed to to uh, connect with, with our women and children. We were used as objects to, to breed and it created scientifically and purposely a, a divide between us all. Then after a few years, you know, a, a few hundred years, the, the country decided to give Jamaica, from which I'm, my family are from, their independence and left the country, in the words of um, a recent prime minister in England, and left Jamaica in social uh, and financial ruin. So that created even more desperation. So then what the, what the British did was invite, you know, a few people who could make the journey to England to help rebuild the country. But we're still carrying this mentality of, divide and conquer and and let's all be selfish and 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 one of non-unity which was really understandable but no one really explained it to us and we didn't understand so that you know so so it it just ran through the culture and it still exists today now i don't know why the americans are different maybe because there's more i mean there's 40 odd million plus americans here and maybe their experience is different maybe the fact that they were all together on the plantation. I, mean, I don't really know. I'd have to talk to a psychologist about it or someone who, who studied it. But I can only talk about our experience. And um, out of all those executives, Adrian, you correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember anyone apart from yourself who was inclusive, who'd reach out and bring black people in. All the success that I had in the UK, apart from working with Mervyn Lynn, slightly later when he went to BMG, was given to me by Nick Phillips, Tony Powell, Joe Copel, Damien Christian, and so on and so forth. And that's how I took care of my family. That's the ultimate. It just so happened that we worked in the music business and it feels a bit more glamorous. 100%. 100%. So let's talk about that entrance in the music business. You explain a bit more about how that came about, but also from there when you and I really kind of bonded past the club point was when you had probably your first real venture. And that's when I first got to know you when you were actually out on the road and doing stuff. Listen, I started, I was doing events and clubs for, for a while. And then um, I, I was introduced to, to, to Neil Pinder who, who already had started doing nights at the roof garden, right? One off here and there. And, and, and it was buzzing. The issue I think that Neil had was that he didn't feel accepted by the community. He, he, his partner was white. A lot of his friends were white. He was a school teacher, an educator. He had a, a bit of a balance. He had a foot in both camps, if you like. Certain people would take advantage of him, wouldn't pay for their tickets, walk in for free. You know, uh, um, I mean, he was abused in certain places. Uh, maybe abused is the wrong word, but... He was a Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. And still is a nice guy. Right. Yes. Right. And I sat down and I and we talked and I said, listen, you know, if I'm involved, you know, and I'm no gangster, but, but you know, you know where I come from, Adrian. I'm a black man from around the way and, and I know how to talk to my community. I said, this won't happen anymore. And, and we can bring a bit more culture, a bit more colour, switch up the DJs, you know, connect more with a broader black population across the country not just in london around chelsea or battersea you know where he was from you know make it a bit broader and do other events do record company events after parties 
etc 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 and i and, and i was the, the the energy behind that and and he was a he's a bit of an entrepreneur and the, he, he so he hit a visionary so he saw it so we sat down we talked to the owners and we talked about what we want to do make the events more regular we just went to a different level you know we had black superstars coming through artists the, and, and we were stricter on the door you know we had control and, uh, and and people couldn't take advantage anymore, which made me a bit of an enemy, public enemy number one. But, but you know, that was our community, you see? We like to take advantage of each other instead of support each other. So we had 600 people in there, as you know, Adrian, paying 20, 25 pounds. <laughs> it was the most prestigious black night. 100%. Um, and so that, that's how it came about. And um, it, it was, it, we, we had a great time. And, and yes, you were definitely part of that. You, Danny D, it was really cool. You know, I think it's always inspirational when you see black people taking up the mantle and doing it for themselves. And I think that was one of the things that I always found really, really inspirational and attractive about you, David. It was a case of you were out there, one of the very first to kind of think, you know what I can do is I'm going to forge a path myself which no one else has done. And that took you from the clubs into, you talk about the after parties and working with record companies, but into that next phase, which was, again, pretty unique, which was actually working with record companies on a, on a much more direct basis with their artists. So how do you know, you can tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, we did, um, I, I, I don't know if you remember, we did the after party for Jodeci and Mary. Um, I do. Battersea Park, of course, it was incredible. Mm. 2,000 people under a, a tent in Battersea in a, in a Royal mm. Park. Oh, we did Lennox Lewis's party after after one of his heavyweight fights. A couple of fact, We did three or four, in fact. And I ended up doing it in New York and around the world. So so that was crazy. So I spoke to Neil about, you know, the company and how we should grow it. And and, and I felt like Neil didn't see that. We didn't have the same vision. His opinion at the time was that, you know, he wanted to do these kind of rave party nights and he got a club, I think on Battersea Bridge Road and he did a few yeah. nights in there. And I think for about a year he made loads of money and it was great. It was great, but I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in, in black R and B hip hop culture. And um, that's where I wanted to stay. So although we're great pals up to now, he was just in New York the other day. We just did a zoom the other day, you know, we kind of separated and I went and did my own thing. I took, some of my money and um I, I bought some vehicles and and, and I, I went to the record companies and I said listen, <laughs> you know, listen we can do all your tour managing all your driving this that and at the time the record companies were like yeah you can have it you know what I mean like they weren't interested you know and and so uh, we we did we did loads of them you know the Jay-Z's uh the Guru I mean we did we did them all we were doing Usher it was it was crazy Nearly every single, you know, Motown, all the bad boy artists, Biggie, uh, Lost Boys. I mean, we, we could go on for days. You were absolutely rolling back then. Like a lot of us, glad to, we were glad to support you. I was, you know, I was more than happy to kind of throw the money your way and make sure that you were on it rather than anybody else. But from there, what was the point where you thought, you know what, I need to do something different now. I want to be inside the business. Well, well, it, it, it is what happened because you kind of skipped a bit because you were mushroom for a while. That's right. And, and, and again, connected me with Corda and who's the head of Warner worldwide now? Max, Max Lusada. So think about that. He's now head of Warner Music Worldwide, right? And there was me, you, Max and Corda working with this independent label, mm. Mushroom. And we had Aaron Sky and another a female pop group. And 
you know, I couldn't see much of a future for them. But you never knew. You did, you just didn't know where they were going to come from because working with a bunch of American acts, um, you know, they got off the plane and they really looked like, you know, my cousin who lives on Tottenham High Street. But the difference between American artists and I think artists around the world is that when they got themselves into artist mode, it was a different kettle of fish that you understood why they were artists because the bar was so high in the states and so you know working with Aaron Sky and, and the girl group at the time at Mushroom you know we just went with it and we we did what we had to do we did showcases we do traveled and did some stuff and most artists don't work anyway and it didn't work out for them mm. but 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 you know I think there were a lot of reasons Russian were a small company at the time mm. didn't have the same resources and so yeah so it was interesting however I did study at uni and I did study business and marketing and, and that there was, there is a side of me that is educated. Obviously, theory is different from practical, but with my personality and my love of music and understanding music and a little bit of experience I had, Mervyn Lynn was then um, working for BMG and that's when it started to develop. And um, he would get me to put together schedules and, and, and set up DJ interviews etc 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 as he developed and grew his role within bmg i don't know if you remember going to his office it was like two foot by four foot but he grew out of that and became obviously one of the most important executives in the building so so we were working together closely to to build the profile and help these artists understand they've got to be professional got to be punctual and then what happened agent really funny if you remember usher was getting bigger cisco and drew hill around that time the music was was basically became the pop music of the day. Me now having all these accounts with nearly every single label except Sony and 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 and, and taking care of these artists, my opportunities to make money became less and less because all the companies, Promotive and, and all these other companies, they wanted all the black acts because there was no white acts that were in front line anymore. So that was difficult because, you know, obviously the owners of each company have got relationships with the label and they try to shut me down. And it was, it was crazy. And as my business started to drop off, Jed Doherty and Mervyn had a conversation with me and said, would I come in and be a product manager at, at BMG? And I was like, yeah, of course I will. I can do that. You know what I'm saying? Again, just being brave and being super confident. I had no idea what it was like to work within a record company. So I went in, and there's Simon Cowell sitting opposite me and Mervyn Lynn and, and all these executives that were there who all knew what they were doing. And here I was trying to find my way. So I had to go into work 7.38 in the morning, just get on email and, and start typing and understanding, you know, retail and what was happening. And Brian Rose, who, 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 who you may or may not know, yeah. right, who's one of the head guys at Apple now, he was working in retail and a couple of guys that now are working at Universal, they were all part of a team and, and, and I connected with them and they would teach me about what I needed to do and how to separate the budget. And it was, it was fantastic experience in one way, but after a couple of years, as I started, as my profile started to grow, it was very difficult in another way because there were white executives in the company who didn't like the fact that I was getting packed on the back and I was trying to, I was controlling the narrative and controlling the budget and doing really, really well. You know, the promotions people and the radio people, the TV, they thought that they were the bee's knees and they were trying to tell me what to do. But Jed Doherty, let me tell you, that man had my back. 
and and we did so much incredible work with Alicia Keys and and Pink and Luva Vandross on tour and Usher was the jewel in the crown at the time and the whole bad boy roster and Buster Rhymes came to us. We had a fantastic party on the boat after you know and the media tried to to, to scandalise the event and Kanye was unhappy because we did it after the Mobos and we took some of her shine away. I mean, it was just, it was crazy, but it was great because it was music, it was hip-hop, it was culture. So that was the transition, which was positive for the most part, but it was an undercurrent that was the same old UK, unfortunately, that, that, that tried to hold the culture back. Again, that's a, a topic I want to return to later on, but your next move, I think, was an incredibly brave one. For those that, that show fear or think about, look at an opportunity and wonder whether they should go for it, I think your example is a real learning curve on kind of maybe shutting your eyes, jumping in and kind of just going, I'm just going to, I'm taking it on and I'm going to do it. Adrian, you, you, you've got to believe in yourself, right? We, we are a very talented culture. If you look at the African footballers now that are all over the world, some of these guys come from Sadio Mane. Some of these guys come from villages, you know what I'm saying? With, with no contact with the rest of the world, but they move and they and they branch out and they commit themselves to their craft because they, they want to make money, they want to succeed, they want to feed their families, they want to bring money back home to the motherland. So um, it's, it's no different. So I was very fortunate in the fact that... Um, I'd struck up good relationships over the period of time. And one of my clients through a great friend of mine, close friend of mine, Michael Richardson, who started off again as a security guy for Showsec, which which we we all know back in the day did every single event um, going. Um, He became Mariah Carey's security guy. And his ambition was to, become more than that and 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 he did he then became a tour manager then his tour he became her tour executive and then co-managed her on and off for the last 20 odd years and he's still with her so crazy right and louise mcnally who was the official you know uh manager for mariah at the time and um i'd done an event for them um they wanted to do something charitable so crazy we did a party in hackney for mariah carey can you believe that and uh we did an event there and she loved it and, and we got on and we all talk, laughed and joked but then she had a bit of a disastrous album and um she got rid of a bunch of people who who obviously advised her to do that and it was it was uh it wasn't the finest moment of her career uh, and so she brought in new people and i was one of them so I assumed the role was tour manager, international marketing exec, and it was a small team of us, you know, that oversaw everything Mariah Carey. It was crazy. And uh, I worked with, with her for two years. And she, you know, that's that's what I went to do. And traveling around the world with the, with the biggest selling female artists of all time. So it was incredible. I think my experiences in the past set me up for that. And it was a successful run. Um, she toured during that time. She put out an album called Charm Bracelet, which kind of resurrected her a little bit. It was it was a really good album, which set her up for the next album that was incredible. But by that time, um, you know, I had two small girls and um, uh, who who'd moved to the states, and I needed to be at home more because we we were on a plane like every three or four weeks, and I'd be gone. I, I was I, I lived in Japan for a month, six weeks once. You know what I mean? Like it was that challenging. So, yeah, that was a very interesting phase. 
And then I think Kevin Lyles and Leo Cohen and Julie Greenwald found out that that I was now in America because they tried to sign Mariah actually at one point. Um, and um, and and I'd worked with them as a consultant in, in you know the late nineties, and, and and so I had a relationship with Kevin Lyles. And when they found out that I was there, they were like, "Hey, listen, we need you to come work for us." And that was Def Jam. Um, and so um, I did that. And I became um, international marketing exec for them, and uh, ended up, you know, being head of um, urban global marketing and arts development over a three, four-year period. That was, I think, the breakout U.S. moment. Has there ever been a moment where you've looked at what you're doing or the opportunity in front of you and been daunted by it, or thought, you know, what I can't do this, or have I bitten off more than I can chew? You wouldn't be human if you didn't. And I can remember some of the moments. I can think of um, a time when I was hired by Christian Tadisfield and um, and his business partner at Northwest Side, who, who had the foresight to to recognise, you know, how great Jay-Z could be, what a great album that was at the time. And Mervyn connected me with, with them, Mervyn Lynn. And we were standing at the landmark, and I remember being downstairs uh, by the car at night 9.45 and thinking, you know what, I've got a bit of time. Um, you know, they, they're never going to come down, uh, uh, you know, dead on 10. And I had to run back to my room for something. I don't know if I made another call or picked up my wallet or picked up something. I don't know. And uh, I, I slowly walked downstairs and it was about 10.05, 10.07 and Jay-Z was standing by the car. And I remember he gave me a look like, yo, I thought we were leaving at 10 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a different guy. And, and I panicked. Do you know what I mean? Within myself, like, God, but I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? And um, I remember Tata, who was his best mate, pulling me to the side later on, saying, yo, just so you know, Jay's never late. Yeah? Don't treat him like no other rapper. Blah, blah, yeah, give me the speech. And, and then our relationship was grown from there. It was amazing. So so that was a moment. Another moment was was when I was on a private plane with, with, uh, with, with Puffy, you know, Sean Combs and Snoop. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, this is a moment, you know, I can't describe to people what this feeling is. I can't, don't even want to tell people because they might disbelieve me. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like you're coming from South or North London and now you're on a private plane flying from one place to another. I can't remember where we were going with, with two of the biggest black music icons of all time in close proximity. And there's been a bunch of others. And, and you do doubt yourself. You worry, you panic for a second because then you just think about going back to where you started and are you going to blow your momentum? Are you going to lose this opportunity? Are you going to damage your brand? And uh, we're not entitled, Adrian. We're not entitled. We have to work for every cent we make. Uh, and, and so if there's a little wobble uh, in, in the proceedings, it makes us very nervous. So, listen, you've had the clubs you've had the, the travel business you work for mariah you worked at def jam you've worked at atlantic do you think all the things that you've achieved so far and we've not finished this journey yet but i just want to kind of take you to another place do you think all the things that you've achieved to date you'd have been able to do if you'd remained in the uk and you'd have had that kind of career path no absolutely not i'm going to start at the very beginning adrian in america people want to succeed collectively Everybody knows that they can't achieve greatness on their own. They cannot. It's, it's part of their culture, hard work and collective effort. And if someone needs something, 
or wants to move a project forward or create something, the first thing they do is reach out to all the best people that they can find to help them succeed their goal. And you become a team. Going back to the beginning of our conversation or, or, or near the beginning, the black community in the UK did not support each other, right? There's a, there's a, there's a quote by uh, J. Edgar Hoover where, where he was asked a question, what do you think is the, is the biggest threat that you see on a day-to-day? And he says black unity, right? So as long as it exists, it's a threat to the broader mainstream world. The people in the UK that we grew up with, Adrian, did not connect and work together. So if you're not being supported by your own people, why would any other race or community reach out and support you when they can support their own? They're all backing themselves. Their cousins, their best mate's sons, their brothers, their uncles, their mates they went to university with. Why would they reach out of their comfort zone to help someone else unless they'd formed a relationship with them. Um, And even if they do, that's just a one-off. Because, Adrian, we all know three or four people back then who had jobs and did really well. But that doesn't help the committee. That doesn't help the artists. That doesn't help us as a whole, the movement, the culture, the genre. It doesn't help us. So, no, it was never going to happen. And by the way, here we are in 2023. Can you name me a black superstar from the UK? It depends what you determine soon. On a global scale, I think we'd all struggle. I mean, obviously, we have this, the Stormses, the Daves, the Celeste. We're still yet to make a wave across a truly international market in that, in that area. And I think we know that. The word superstar is synonymous with America. Why? Because they've achieved global domination. And, and I've been very, very fortunate to be part of teams, setups, organizations, labels that broke Kanye, that broke Rihanna that broke Neo, that broke Flowrider, that broke Usher, that broke Bruno Mars, you know, and, and, and on and on and on. So if you're in part of breaking seven, eight acts in 15 years working for labels, that's pretty good odds. 100%. But so, so let's take that back a minute. Are we saying that we don't have the acts or we don't have the, the people to to drive that success for the acts? Because they are two very different things. Adrian, my brother, we definitely have the eyes. The talent is everywhere in, in, in the UK. We don't have... But first of all, Adrian, you need to be united. You can't employ your mate who lives at the end of the street who's never, who didn't even finish high school as your manager. Right? Just because you feel comfortable and you want to keep control within your network. That's not how it works. That's not how life works. That's not how development works. That's not how product development works. That's not how, that's not how you achieve global success, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is the UK media and infrastructure does not have the appetite or the ambition to support black talent. They don't have it. You've got to sit down with an artist agent and you've got to explain what global domination is. You've got to explain the difference between having a hit on one extra and the difference between having a hit on Radio 1 and the difference between having a hit on the Capital Network and GWR and you have your records being played in, in Scotland uh, and Carlisle and, 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 and beyond and then across in Ireland and then across Europe um, and, and how to 
work your way through France and Germany, the major markets, and then get to Italy and Spain later on. And and once you've achieved that, let's wait till maybe the second album, maybe the third album, when you create some consistency and and breed some confidence within your label and your distributor and 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 some income, some royalties, and then start to think about how we're going to dominate the biggest market in the world where everyone can retire, which is the US of A, right? That's a simple explanation of the conversations that don't happen and what you've got to do and how you build. And and you can do it with the Dua Leapers. You can do it with Adele. You can do it with uh, uh, Ed Sheeran. You can attempt to do it with Oasis and a bunch of other acts, but I don't see it happening with the Black Acts. Do you think that is due to a lack of ambition or a lack of knowledge? Adrian, it's neither. It's institutional racism. Let's get in, let's get into that. But what was interesting before that was your comment that a lot of acts now who are managed by their friends don't have the necessary knowledge. So surely if that is the case, is there something to be said that you need to up the level of the people you're working with that's going to afford you that opportunity, as well as the other factors that we know that are there, which we'll get into? Yeah, yeah, well, without a doubt. If I'm sitting... In a, in a seat, I'm talking from experience here, right? If I'm sitting in a seat in a building of a record company, uh, that gives me a certain amount of gravitas, right? So someone walks in, Neo, right? Talented writer, signed to the label for a couple of years. No one's done anything with him. His manager is aggressive, but ambitious, and has never left the country. I sit him down with Neo and I explain what's out there for him and how I can help him and how the label can work together with him to make them even more rich than they are. Now, not every artist responds to that conversation. But Adrian, I just made you say seven acts that I worked with in 15 years. If we get a, if we get a, a ratio of one every two years that creates global domination, we're successful, aren't we? Yep. So, so the, the 300 artists you have signed to your roster, not all of them are going to... But can we find one? You and I have been in the business 25, 30 years, maybe longer. There hasn't been one. There's been potential. And I think that, by the way, I'm thinking back to Lincoln Elias, who had Terence Trent Darby and, and, um, and Desiree and, and a bunch of acts and, and, and Jamiroquai. Uh, uh, well, I won't count Jamiroquai, Desiree. Uh, and, and obviously Desiree started a family and, and decided she didn't want to do it anymore. But they, those type of acts, I think, got almost the closest. They were classy. They definitely had something about them, personality, that could have created world domination. I don't know why they weren't, because I wasn't deep enough in it. But from that moment, when I saw those acts and, and realised that a black man signed all those acts, they were real quality acts. It was such a unique situation, Adrian, because they all were true to their culture, but they definitely had an alternative appeal that, that, that could, could work with a broader audience. You know, so Terence Trent Darby was soulful, but he was like a young prince. Desiree was soulful. Amazing, right? I'll give you the nearest one to it since then. Might have been Craig David. So Craig David walks in the building with a, with a manager who looked after him and, 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 and discovered him in Southampton and I believe lived with him for a while and stuff like that. The label comes in and tells him to get rid of him. Now, I don't care what story anyone wants to tell, what version of events they want to tell. That was the essence. The label, the guys at the label took over his management and changed 
his whole direction, he has a whole creative direction and killed his career. Killed it. The guy sold one point something over a million albums in the United States. He was our guy. He was the one that was going to lead the charge and open the doors for us, right? Atlantic were working his records. It was crazy. I don't know another black artist who sold over a million records, albums in America in the past 20, 30 years. So, so it, it doesn't matter how it comes at you. What you do in the States is you find the right person to do the job. You don't find the person that you feel comfortable with. You find the right person. And that doesn't happen in the UK. And so there needs to be an appetite. There needs to be someone in place that can speak to the culture, that can help develop the culture, that can help organise the budgets, strategize the development and create global success. But they don't do that. They sign 100 acts who's, who, who have mates as their managers and they take one hit from each act and, and do a few couple of hundred million streams. And they say, thank you very much. Let's move on to the next one. There's no cultivation. There's no development. There's no conversation. There's no commitment. None. Zero. And, and I know the difference. From the outside looking in, as someone who kind of, you know, you're back and forward and you're still kind of interacting with UK executives and you see the way the market is here and the way the labels are run. What advice would you give to those young black entrepreneurs that are starting out on their journey and want to make a difference and, and want to ensure that their acts have have longevity and are able to break in, in different territories? You know, how, how should they be dealing with, with the challenges that they're going to face? How do I say this? If I want to dress up to an event and it's that important and I could afford it and I have the wherewithal and my image is that important, I go to a stylist. If I need my teeth done, I go to a dentist. If I want my car filled up with petrol, I go to a petrol station. I go to the places where people have expertise and knowledge and have been doing this for a long, long time. Because I believe if someone has the level of creative gifts that some of the artists that we've come across have, that it needs to be nurtured, developed by the right people in the right way. And it's sacrilege when it doesn't happen. So no one's saying that DJ Mega shouldn't have his pal by his side, right? But the two of them have got to make a decision that, okay, we can both keep an eye on, on the books and the money and I feel comfortable with you around, but we need to go and talk to Adrian Sykes. We need to go and talk to David Miller. We need to go and talk to Danny D. We need to talk to people with career experience who are balanced, who have made money, who are not thieves, who have got a good reputation, who know people and can advise us and help us learn and build a career to make sure we don't sign the right contract. We start off in the right way. And as we mean to go on, it's too important an opportunity to waste. Getting a hit record is 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 not an easy feat. Being an incredible artist with 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 a unique talent is not something to be sniffed at. So it needs to be handled with care and attention. And and that's not happening. So when you come back now and you look at you've been gone twenty years now for a whole song, what does it look like the industry look like to you now in comparison to the time that you left it when you wander around record companies and you talk to the execs that you're working with? It hasn't hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. There's still no black superstar. Until there is a black superstar that everyone gets behind, everyone in the building gets behind in the same way 
that they've done with Ed Sheeran, Adele, Dua Lipa, and all these, uh, I see the way that Polydor are developing Holly Humberstone, for instance. It's like slow burn, commitment. Um, she performed at the Brits. You know, and most people haven't heard of her, right? But they, they, they can see the talent. I can see the talent. I'm not knocking it. But it's talent that they can relate to, that the English public can relate to, and the English public doesn't look like you and I. So therefore, why wouldn't you put people in place that look like you and I to help develop the amazing amount of talent that's in the country to help you make money and build reputation and build your brand? It's all there for you. But no, they just sign them all, give them a single or two single deal, take the revenue and keep it moving because they know there's another 50 going to come through the door tomorrow. And they do the same with them. They have no intention of developing any of these apps. No intention. So let's reverse engineer that. Knowing what we know and how, how to deal with it, we then have a responsibility on ourselves to ensure that when we walk into those situations, that that isn't the case, right? That we are actually holding or managers or, you know, or, and teams are holding their, their labels, their distro companies to account to ensure that they are given the best opportunities. Is that a fair statement? Yes, yes. So the question is, how do these guys get to that point? If you stand in front of them now, a team of young guys, what would you say to them as two or the two or three leading things that they need to have in their armory if they're going to succeed with their act and in their business? Someone to align with them to help them navigate the industry. That's the first thing they need to do because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what a budget is. You don't know what a timeline is. You don't know what a one sheet is. You don't know what records are being played on Radio 1, where to start, the, what the community stations are doing. You have no idea. All you know is that there's a buzz in the community. There's music being played in the community. You know what? You know idea what, what, who, who head of playlist is. You don't know anything about the industry. Go and do some research. Align yourself with some people who know who you who, who know what they're doing. To be the intermediary between yourselves and the monster that is the music industry. It's a monster that's going to chew you up and spit you out. That's the first thing. Open yourself up. Don't be greedy. Don't be selfish. Think long term. That's the first thing. So you've had an incredible career. You're now at seven grand, right? So tell us about what you're currently doing and what yeah, and how that's working for you. So so when I was at um, Atlantic, you know, I think around 2012, I was approached by Blueprint Management, who, who you may or may not know. And they, at the time, were managing Drake, Kanye, Nicki Minaj, Jill Scott, The Roots, G-Eazy, T.I., and a bunch of others. Oh, Little Wayne. Did I forget Little Wayne, right? They came to me and said to me, David, we want you to come work for us and oversee international market development for our company, right? So I went to the bosses. My contract was nearly up and I said, I'm going to leave. They said, no, no, no. We've got this kid, Bruno Mars. You know, you've got, we've got to finish off this project, David. It's very, very important to the company and blah, blah, blah. So I says, okay. They asked me to stay. They made me feel wanted, money, blah, blah, blah. And then they gave me the, the flexibility in my contract to start my own management company, which is what my next phase wanted, you know, I wanted my next phase to be. So I did that. I think that was 2012. And I signed a few acts to my management company and I got them all signed. Dylan Cooper to RCA, that's our boy Pete Edge. Um, uh, uh, Curtis Fields, LA re-signed him. 
Um, and then the third artist was Natalie LaRose and Monty and Avery signed, um, signed her. So within three years, I, you know, I had three deals and it was great. I, it was great, great confidence. Now, Natalie LaRose had a big single. Uh, it was a sample and it was really, really good. So at the end of that contract, I said, listen, I can't stay. You know, I've really got to maximize my potential and get out. So I left. And and what I did to make sure that I was uh, protected was that, you know, I created two companies. One was Seven Grand Management for the artist. One was Seven Grand Entertainment to consult on international and global projects, marketing projects. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Now, you know, you know that most artists don't achieve or maximize their potential. None of those artists did. But, you know, I've learned the game. I signed good deals. I've got good commissions. You know, one deal kept me going for 12 months. Plus, you remember, I'm, I'm doing deals in America. It's totally different kettle of fish, right? So, so that was great. None of the artists were loyal. None of them were true to their word. They weren't hardworking enough, didn't have the right work ethic, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, you grind your way through. And then I think I did some stuff for Kevin Lyles over 300. So I was doing Megan Stallion, um, Migos, Famous Dex, and a bunch of acts over there. Empire, I was doing some stuff for them independently. It was, you know, so as a consultant. So, so I've, I've rolled through it and a bunch of other stuff, right? So I've rolled through it. And then in 2019, Jay-Z came back to me and said, it's so funny because when we were at Def Jam together, he signed Sizzler. I don't know if you remember that, right? And 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 Sizzler went missing and signed with another act and put out another album. Like, there was no discipline amongst those Jamaican boys. And I remember saying to Jay, listen, are you, are you mad? Like, I'm Jamaican. Come and see me before you sign another act from Jamaica. It's so funny. We laughed about it. And then, so when he signed Buju, Banton, um, he, he approached me and said, listen, uh, you know, we need you. Remember that conversation, blah, blah, blah. Jay's got that kind of memory. So funny. So end of 2019, January 2020, I, I started consulting for Rock Nation. Uh, and then we all know what happened two months after that. And we've only just recovered. Festivals just started last summer. Budgets back in place at the end of the year. 2023, boom, we're off, right? So it's been a bit of a weird three years. But, you know, I manage artists... A couple of them have suffered from, you know, mental health issues because they've been, you know, stuck indoors and haven't been able to put out music. And you know what artists are like. They need to feed themselves, you know, creatively. I manage a couple of producers, songwriters, and I, and, and I consult for a few labels. So so that's been my journey. And, I, and I've got a niche um, and, and I love it. I travel and, and I work and uh, I'm busy. So to finish off, because you know you've been overly generous with your time, and thanks for that, David. You ever coming back? No. If I came back to the UK, you know, it would be because Jason Eilley, David Joseph, or Tony Harlow said, "Listen, we need to take advantage of of of, of what's happening in the community, and we need you to be general manager, MD of this, and we're going to pay you this much money." And we're going to take care of you. We're going to treat you like we've treated every other mainstream executive. That's where I'm going to put it. Because we think you can do a great job. Then I would consider it because I really do believe that the people in the, the black people in the UK, black artists in the UK, Adrian, need expertise. They need an outlet. And they haven't got it. They haven't got it. So what are your hopes for the future, Dave? What, what do you want this business to do, reflect on and progress with? in the next five, ten years? I, I want them to do exactly what I just said. 
to employ people of color and put them in positions of of power, strength and influence. Right. That's what they need to do in this uh, right alongside their white counterparts. We're not taking their place. We're working together because I think we've proved ourselves in spaces when we're given the opportunity that we can really be effective. And I don't think they understand the, 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 the importance in our culture of musical and creative success. I think that I saw an article the other day that black people, by the way, at the bottom of every financial and educational league table in the country, by the way, in the UK, spend almost three times as much money on, on leisure and entertainment than anybody else in the country. So, so, the, the, so, so that is a reflection of fact of how important it is for us to show out, to look good, to play music, to entertain. That's just part of our culture. And, and I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just part of our DNA, right? That's just how we are. But, and why shouldn't we earn a living? Why shouldn't we, we be su- successful doing the things that we're good at and we enjoy and, and, and I don't know if people really understand, the general public really understand how important it is to us. Music is like our blood flow, Adrian. We can't enjoy ourselves unless what we're listening to is on point. And then we can start. That's how important it is to us. So I want the industry to change. Now, I've seen the twins now who have become MDs of Def Jam. She's great, right? I've seen Ricky and Glyn get a label deal at Sony, which is great. I've seen Austin take the general manager role at Atlantic. Great. Trenton being given the position over at ADA. Fantastic. Nowhere near enough. Nowhere near enough because they need more expertise. They need more experience. They need, they need more wrapped around them. They're the right people. Don't get me wrong, but they need more. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with the twins trying to teach them, trying to show them, giving them, and they've been open-hearted enough and open-minded enough to come to me for advice. I'm trying to help them. Do you know what I'm saying? They need that. You can't be dropped in a situation and not being surrounded by the right support. 100%. So, finally, a message to UK black execs. We've got to become more united as a, as a community. You can't do it on your own. Being given a job in a record company is great. But, but you ain't going to have no success unless you've got the whole building behind you. And look around the building and let me know what the ratio is. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I was working a Buster Rhymes project, one of the most iconic records of Buster Rhymes' career. Remember Pastor Gavossier? Yeah, of course. The video had uh, Monique in it, the comedian. She was on a fire back then. And, and Pharrell Williams was in the video. And there was a scene in it where... I think Monique steps on Buster Rhymes' toe, like stamps on it, right? And one of the video execs, promoters, sat in a meeting and said, yeah, you know, MTV and the, and the video channels won't play it because they see that as a violent act. I don't need to be working with people like that. To which my response was, hold on a minute. Didn't I just see a Westlife video where they were fighting in the church and the room went quiet? And Simon Cowell was in that room and he started laughing. And he said, yes, yes, absolutely, David, you're absolutely right. Let me tell you, Simon Cowell is, is not only an incredible executive, he's a truth teller. He doesn't play that politics game. He was in the building for three years. I, I, I worked with him extensively, getting to work early. I learned a lot from him. And he said, you're absolutely right, David. You're absolutely right to make that comparison. And remember, Westlife was his act. 
and so and yeah. and you know that that promotions girl held that against me didn't like me didn't like the fact that i was supporting this black culture and that i would i would make points and ask why the record wasn't being played and i could tell you a load of stories usher crazy stories right but we win in the end because even though some people didn't believe in usher within a couple of years he became one of the biggest stars in the world so it's possible we just have to believe and we have to work together collectively and support each other support each other first and then break out once we proved ourselves and 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 and, and uh, stay focused so all i will say my friend is that you know the us's game has left us a lot poorer so keep on winning and david miller manager partner at seven grand many thanks for joining us on the did you know podcast bless you my friend no bless you too thank you for the opportunity i'm adrian sykes and this was did you know a downstreet production thank you for listening thanks to david for sharing his story our thanks as ever to Danny D, partner and true pioneer, Sean Springer, our producer Cass Denton, Ella Ruby on socials, and Vega Brothers for our theme music. Also thanks to Dave Roberts and Tim Ingham at MBW. In our next episode, we'll tell you how to apply to be mentored by the guests of the Did You Know podcast. Make sure you listen for all the details. Did You Know is available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure that you subscribe to never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. And in our next episode, we'll be in conversation with Whitney Birding, live agent at the WME Agency, where we'll be talking about her journey and her career to date. The ladies underneath me, I want to see them in their offices before I even think about moving on. If you can't pay things forward, there's no point. This was Did You Know? Until the next time.